0: You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K.
1: Email's front door has been wide open. And what we're saying now is you require a front door. There's many other security things you need to do at home, but first have a door and lock the door and manage the security of that key.
2: Greetings to all, and a warm welcome to the Hacking Humans podcast brought to you by the CyberWire. Each week we delve into the world of social engineering scams, phishing plots, and criminal activities that are grabbing headlines and causing significant harm to organizations all over the world. I'm Dave Bittner, and joining me is Joe Kerrigan from the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute. Hello, Joe. Hi, Dave. we got some good stories to share this week, and later in the show, my conversation with Seth Blank. He is Chief Technology Officer at Valamail. We're talking about... Email security. But first, a word from our sponsor, Know Before. Where would InfoSec professionals be without users making security mistakes? Working less than 60 hours per week, perhaps? Actually having a weekend every so often? We get it user behavior can be a challenge but users can also be an infosec professional's greatest asset once properly equipped what do we mean by that well stay with us and in a few minutes we'll hear from our sponsors at know before on that very question All right, Joe, before we dig in here, we have a little bit of follow-up. What do we got?
0: Yes. First, Blunt and Horowitz from The Wall Street Journal are reporting that New Mexico's attorney general, Raul Torres, is suing Meta,
1: hmm. uh,
0: basically saying that Instagram recommended sexual content to underage users. This is a follow-up from our last story, last week's story, uh, actually both from Blunt and Horowitz as well. Okay. Um He's saying that Instagram recommended sexual content to underage users and promoted minor accounts to apparent child predators. Wow. Uh, The suit holds Zuckerberg personally responsible Hmm. for decisions that uh, put kids at risk. Now, Torres is a former prosecutor of uh, cases that were like internet crimes against children. Okay. Um, And he says that Meta has both hidden the scales— the scale and the dangers of, of children face on the platform and failed to address even obvious sex trafficking
2: wow well, that's so, quite an uh, allegation
0: yeah so i put a link in uh, we'll put a link in the show notes to the next wall street journal article about this but uh it, at least one attorney general is coming down on this uh, what we were talking about last week not just the uh you know, the the marketing to kids and exploiting their psychology.
2: Yeah. And it's just, do you know offhand if this is criminal or civil that they're coming out? <clears> it accident? is civil.
0: Okay. It is civil. Yeah. They, that is one of the things that's clear in the um, in the article. It's a civil case. Okay. Wow. Uh, and the next thing I wanted to talk about, Dave, they almost got me again, Dave. <laughs> they almost got me. Okay. Here's a story from my person uh, personal events. Uh, I don't know if you are a subscriber to Peacock. Are you a sp- subscriber to Peacock? I have no idea.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I, for they, you know, there's so many of them, and they're right. changing their names, and they're merging, and they're splitting apart, and... Soon they're going to be bundling, Dave. I heard
0: <laughs> heard that, too. Great. Yeah, wonderful. <laughs> Back to the cable providers, exactly. but only now they're on the right. internet. exactly. Right. Exactly. <laughs> um, so, uh... What happened is I got this email. You know what? Let me let me even pull the email up for you. Okay, and I'll show it to you. Yeah, there it is, Dave. you look through my little tank window here, you'll oh, see yeah. it. Right, your looked, membership has expired. That looks legit. Right, it does. Now here's the thing. I've recently had uh, had to cancel a couple of credit cards. Remember last week when I ta- or a couple of weeks ago, I talked about how they actually did get me. Yeah, with uh, and I had to cancel a, a Capital One credit card, and I was thinking to myself, did I have my Peacock? Uh, coming out of my Capital One credit card, and I started to get the. Uh, I started my mouse over this thing that says "extend for free," and I'm like, "Wait a minute," because here it says, "But for part of as part of our loyalty program, you can now extend for 90 days free," and that was my red flag uh. because I was like, "Wait a minute, that doesn't sound like something Peacock would do," <laughs> and sure enough, then I look at the the from address and it's from some rando on the internet. Yeah. And it is it is a phishing email. Okay. I did not click the link, Dave. All right. Which will feed into my story today.
2: Well, it's re- it's, it feeds into my story as well. Okay. All right. So speaking of which, I'm going to kick things off for us with our stories this week. And my story actually comes from Cyber News. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it is about uh, an email brand impersonation attack. And this is focusing on Disney+. So, do you have Disney Plus? I do. Yeah. I do too. Yeah, I, I. That's where all the Star Wars stuff is, and the Bluey stuff, Dave, <laughs> and the Muppets stuff, right? Muppets stuff, <laughs> and the Marvel stuff. But mostly, yes. they, you know, they had me at Star Wars, and uh, <laughs> and also Muppets, and and all the other stuff. Yeah. So there's lots of stuff on Disney Plus for my family. Uh, so this story focuses on an analysis uh, by the folks at Abnormal Security, which is a security company with a fun name. Mm-hmm. Um, and what they tracked here was that um, there are highly personalized emails uh, and a lot of attention to detail, which is making these emails hard to identify. Just just like the one you pointed out with... Uh, with uh, Peacock. It was a Peacock, yeah. Yeah, my, Who knows? E- ma-
0: my that email was, I think, a random email that just so happened to line up with me, yeah, in my situation. Okay, which I think, um, yeah, I didn't actually mention that, but I, that's why it almost worked on me because I have Peacock and I've recently canceled two credit cards. Right. So, right.
2: so what this does is uh, it it's emails the recipient. It talks about a pending charge for a new Disney Plus subscription. Uh, It uh, indicates that they will be billed automatically with an option to contact support if it's an unauthorized sort of thing. But what's interesting here is that it's quite personalized. Um, Each of the emails had a PDF attachment, and the PDF was personalized with the recipient's name Hmm. and a charge of $49.99, which is way higher than a Disney Plus subscription fee. So I suppose that's there to... It's a large enough amount that it's going to attract your attention. Right. Probably even if you have Disney+, Plus, you're going to go, what? Yeah. <laughs> Wait a minute.
0: What streaming service <laughs> costs this much?
2: Right, exactly. Of course, there's a, a customer support uh, phone number that's in the PDF, which, of course, does not go to Disney. No, it does not. Um, So when when you go to the site, if you click through, they're looking for information like your banking details, login credentials. Uh, And they'll actually also provide instructions to download some software, which could lead to malware infection. (laughs) Really? Yeah. Yeah.
0: These guys are distributing malware, too.
2: Right. The fiends. Yeah. Um, So they said that uh, it was a legitimate-looking sender email that Mm -hmm. was similar to the actual Disney Plus address. You know, I would imagine that Disney having that plus in the name makes it easier to come up with email addresses that look... Legit. Yes. Like you could put the plus before the word Disney, and I bet a, a lot of people would just think it's Disney. Like, oh, look, isn't that clever the way Disney Plus puts the plus before the name? You know? Right. Polish <laughs> notation, they call it. <laughs> What's that?
0: Reverse Polish notation.
2: Oh, all right. I, I did not know that.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's It's a math thing. You have to learn it for uh, building compilers and using those HP calculators. You remember those oh, HP yeah, calculators? Yes, they yes. use yes. reverse Polish notation.
2: Yes. Oh, all right. My. Um, my uh, college roommate was an electrical engineer and he had one of those HP calculators and right. did lots of fun things with it. Uh, the email uses Disney Plus's branding and colors. Uh, they point out that there's no language errors in this. And of course, we've talked about in this era of large language models, so mm-hmm. that's probably going to be a thing of the past. Yep. Um they are also tracking um some variations in the language of the email and it seemed like they were testing different versions to see what was most effective. Um really. Yeah. Yeah. Which like A B testing. Exactly. Huh? Huh. Exactly. Um so again, the the folks at uh, Abnormal Security, they're just reminding everybody that this sort of thing, brand impersonation is very common. Um, in fact, they had tracked 265 different brands who were impersonated in credential phishing attacks in a six month period back in 2022 in their own research. So, and it's only getting worse. Yes. So, uh, you know, recommendations here, uh,
0: vigilance, of course. Vigilance. Yeah. Don't, don't click the link, which is going to be the theme of my, my discussion.
2: <laughs> but, right. If, and if right. someone gives you a phone number, don't. Assume that that phone number is correct for customer support. Look up the phone
0: number for Disney Plus support.
2: Yeah, yeah, look it up online. Right. Um, Yeah, but other than that, I think it's pretty straightforward here. Uh, Just a standard uh, phishing kind of thing where they're trying to get your trying to get your info. And it is uh, interesting how sophisticated this one is, and that they're also trying to drop some malware on your machine. So yeah. Extra vigilance. Yeah. But uh, this was the first time that Abnormal, anyway, had seen someone trying to impersonate Disney Plus. So
0: mm. keep an eye out, spread the word. All right, that's what I got. Joe,
2: what do you got for us
0: this week? Dave, my story comes from the Department of Justice, justice.gov. Mm. Right. Mm-hmm. And this is the U.S. Attorney's Office, the FBI and the local and state law enforcement officials uh, released second. Don't click December, PSA. Now, this is based <laughs> out of the, the okay. Idaho uh, region of the Boise, you know, the Boise office of the Department of Justice and uh-huh. FBI and uh, uh, U.S. Attorney. Uh, Josh Herwit is the, uh, the guy that's in charge out there. Okay. Of, of the domain. Now, they have a, a video here of uh, what not to click, right? But I like, I wanted to ta- highlight this one because uh, one of the things that came out of my recent... Uh, the recent survey that we've done is we've gotten a little, a little bit of attention here in Maryland Okay. Um, from some, some people in the Maryland government. And we're actually starting to think about how do we convey something simple like uh, give a hoot, don't pollute, right? Yeah. Or only you can prevent forest fires, but in cybersecurity terms. And I think this idea of don't click December is a pretty good idea. Hmm. Now, they're focusing here on uh, package delivery scams. Yeah. And they have, uh, I think the sheriff, one of the local sheriffs is standing there and goes, I get these things all the time. No, don't click on the link and don't call the number that they give you.
2: Okay. So so when you say package delivery scam, you're saying someone contacts you and says, we've got a package for you. Click here to find out.
0: Right. You get a text message or you get an email. Okay. Right. And uh, I'm going to say text message and email, and I'm not going to say smishing and phishing.
2: <laughs> okay, <Right>? fair enough. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Although phishing, pretty good understanding. Yeah. Uh, but you get a text message, you get you get an email, you might get a phone call that oh. says, hey, um, we can't deliver this package, we need a uh, package delivery fee. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is the United States Postal Service, right? And we have a package for you. Uh, this... Again, falls in line with the, uh, the, the criminal calendar that, you know, they all have on their wall, Dave. I, I envision it. That <laughs> right now, it's uh, because we're in right. December here that it's, it's package delivery and Christmas charity scams. All those kind of things are going on right now. Right. Uh, as soon as this holiday season is over, it's time for the tax fraud. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. That's what's next. Yeah.
2: Um,
0: but I really like the idea of don't click December. Hmm. I would like something that was more universal that would last throughout the entire year. Mm. Uh, And I'm going to be thinking about that along with some other... Uh, people much smarter than I am, um, <laughs> well, some of your this. colleagues at Hopkins, yes, yes, okay. <laughs> I like to think of myself as Hopkins village idiot. Um,
2: <laughs> well, you should check with some of your students, the ones who actually had to apply to get into Hopkins <laughs> <laughs>
0: <Right>. <laughs> well, actually, one of the people that uh, I was presenting with this, just this week at um at Cyber Maryland was one of our students okay, a very sharp, very sharp young woman,
2: yeah,
0: um and uh. The thing I like about this don't click those December is that it, it kind of goes along with other things like no shave November. Right. 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 And uh dry January. Okay. Uh, th- yeah. Th- yeah. Which some people say I'm going to abstain from drinking for all of January because I overdid it during the holiday season. Okay. Um, by the way, that's not anything I've ever participated in. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> but, um, at least not recently, anyway. I mean, I may have uh, gone a couple of Januarys without drinking just because.
2: Not on purpose. Not on right? purpose. It just had worked out that way. <laughs> right. Yeah.
0: I like the idea of of what's going on here. I will say this, though. The actual PSA that was released and put out on YouTube, kind of dry. Uh, okay. <laughs> kind of dry. Um, mm. I'd like a little more uh, punch in my PSA for this. Yeah. For So, I mean, really, this is just uh, law enforcement standing there telling you, don't click on the link, make sure you call a verified number. And then the attorney general, uh, from, from the, this district, uh, this Josh Hurwitt is standing there talking and, and, you know, everybody is fine in what they're saying and they're articulating it well. Yeah. It's just that it's not very memorable. Okay. It doesn't stick with me. You know, my wife,
2: uh, often reminds me that, that she, uh, as a marketing person herself, she believes that, uh, We really need to come up with a better term than social engineering.
0: Yeah. Oh, I, I, woo. Your wife is on Joe's page right here. (laughs) I was talking about this at the conference just, just yesterday when we were speaking. Yeah. Uh, We had a question, what is social engineering in a cybersecurity context? Right. And there were four possible answers, plus I don't know. And only 25% of the people got it right. Wow. Which means uh, it's a little bit better than guessing. Right, <laughs> right, right. Which to me says, yeah, this is a terrible term. Yeah. And you and I have talked about the jargon in this, in, in our industry. Oh, yeah. Uh, many times. Yeah. And I was pontificating about this up on the panel discussion yesterday. Uh-huh. And I was saying, this this needs to change. We need to have something that does a a better job of communicating what we're talking about. We can't, as security professionals, go up and say, you need to watch out for social engineering attacks. Right? Yeah. People go well, okay. What's that? That's the and and but they think that, but they never say it. They'll yeah. never say it.
2: She thought uh, computer cons. Computer was a good cons one. would be a good uh, one. There's a little bit of alliteration there. Yep. Uh, so I would put put this out to our listeners. If there's a particularly good one that you've heard,
0: we have had a listener write in with digital scams.
2: Oh yeah yeah yeah. Or, that's that's a good one. That's yeah, a good one. Or but d- if digital uh, cons, digital. If cons. If any of you want to submit some, we'd love to share them. Uh, if you, there's any good ones you've heard, or you can come up with one that you think is catchy and easier to understand, right? let us know. Okay, uh, send so us an email. computer
0: cons and digital cons are already taken.
2: That's right. So... <laughs> no points for those. Something
0: better than that. Yeah. So yeah. Send it in. We'd love to hear it. Yeah. I'll... I'll hey, maybe you could be part of a PSA campaign. For there you ID. go. That's right. You will I, be compensated nothing, of
2: course. I think of those... Uh, think there's the commercials from the original Ghostbusters movie, you know, where they're like, we're here to believe you. Right. You know, that sort of thing. Do you experience feelings of <laughs> dread in your attic or basement? Right, right.
0: <laughs> Why is it I can pull that line right out of my head?
2: <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Uh, all right. Is that it, Joe? That's it. All right. That's very it. Good. I, I think
0: it's a great, a great idea. Um, I think it's it's wonderful. I think the don't click December is a great uh marketing scam or market mar- scam marketing uh scam. The <laughs> marketing piece. <laughs> I think that's really good. It's bite-size. Yeah people can remember it. Uh, I just think that the PSA was a little dry.
2: Right. And then um, come January, click on everything.
0: Right. Don't do that. <laughs> you you're gonna have
2: all this pent-up clicking, Joe. Right. You're 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 gonna have an itchy clicking finger.
0: You're gonna wanna <laughs> an click on it. Itchy
2: clicking finger. Yeah. Oh, oh I spent the whole <laughs> the whole month of December not clicking anything.
0: I gotta click everything. Yes. Go go play a game that has a lot of clicking in it. Oh, that's a good idea.
2: All right. <laughs> All right. Well, again, we would love to hear from you. Our email address is hackinghumans at n2k.com. Joe, it's time to move on to our Catch of the Day.
0: Dave, our Catch of the Day comes from Mauricio, who writes, Dave and Joe, I listen to your great show every week. Love the discussion and tips. Keep up the good work. I got this phishing email, apparently via PayPal. Hmm. I'm sure I do not know a person, this person, let alone bought anything for $600. (laughs) After this email, I got two more the same day prompting me for a response. Obviously, I ignored them. Uh, Good luck with your next victim, he said. (laughs) Uh, Dave, it is a PayPal invoice.
2: Okay. It says, here's your invoice. Alan Cohen sent you an invoice for $599.99 U.S. dollars. Uh, invoice details, amount requested, five ninety nine ninety nine. dollars 99 Note from seller, invoice number. Don't recognize this invoice? Before paying, make sure you recognize this invoice. So uh, there's not really a whole lot to read here, Joe. I no, mean, this there This is isn't. a standard PayPal invoice. It
0: is probably a legitimate PayPal invoice. Oh, So in other words, there's somebody who's gone into PayPal, signed yeah. up for a free account, okay. and then just started sending out $600 invoices.
2: Oh, I see.
0: One of the things that's interesting here is that it says note from seller, and it has a number in there that looks like a an invoice number. And then right. immediately below that, it says invoice number, and it says call this 858 number. Oh. Right? That's
2: the same number. The note from the seller and the invoice Number oh, are I the didn't same notice number. that, but
0: you're right, they yeah. are the same number, yeah. Uh, but I will bet that if you call this number, you get a scammer on the line uh, who yeah. says, You need to pay us the 600 mm-hmm. bucks, right? Uh, these are sent out in the hopes that you'll just pay the invoice. Uh, maybe you're a business and you you see something come through. And I mean, these guys work in uh, you know, call centers and, and scam centers where they, they just send these out en masse at some point in time. This is successful. Yeah. It works. Somebody just sends the money, right? This is below the threshold of anybody's attention, and they just pay it.
2: Do you remember the, the story? I'm pretty—we must have covered it on the show at some point. There was a guy—this is years ago, I want to say pre-internet days. He had cooked up a dry-cleaning scam where uh, he would send letters to local restaurants— and say that uh, your waiter, I, I, I had a you know dinner at your restaurant, any targeted fancy restaurants. I had dinner at your restaurant uh, a week ago, and your waiter spilled gravy on my suit or my wife's dress or whatever. Right. And here's my bill for the dry cleaning. And, you know, $15 or something, you know, not, not a huge amount. Right. But um, this person had automated it in such a way that, you know, for the price of a... Stamp and a letter, and this and back then it was mailed, right? U.S. Postal Service. Now I don't know that we've talked about. this. Okay, time. yeah. So this person had just come up with this scam, and uh, he would send this letter to restaurants all over town and all over the country, I believe, and uh, and they would send him a check. So you know, do this for a few hours every day, right? And your return on investment was very high. Most yeah. of the restaurants would just send him a check, someone would send him a, um, a gift certificate, you know, something like that, but... So then he get a free meal out of it. <laughs> right, right. And eventually, my my recollection, and it's a little hazy, because it's probably been 20 years since I remember reading about this story, but, uh, like, there was some local gathering of restaurant owners, you know, some kind of uh, industry uh, association meeting. Right. And someone around a dinner table or at the bar or whatever talked about having to pay a dry cleaning bill. And somebody else was like, hey, wait a minute.
1: <laughs> I had to do that too. <laughs>
2: yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, this actually happened to me once, uh, not the paying the bill, but actually being a waiter and spilling gravy on someone. Oh,
0: okay. <laughs> I, you actually spilled something?
2: Yes, I did. I When I was in college, uh, I worked as a singing waiter on a lunch and dinner cruise boat in the Baltimore Inner Harbor. It was a boat called the Bay Lady. Anybody around here probably knows of it. Uh, of course, since we, were work, we, since we worked there, we had to subvert it. We called it the Bag Lady, but no, it was the Bay Lady. <laughs> right. Um yeah, and, uh, you know, I was serving somebody. We had, like, prime rib or something like that, and I was leaning over to serve someone else at the table, and some uh, gravy dribbled off the plate and onto a lovely woman's dress, and uh, she was not happy about it, Joe. No, it did I... not go well. <laughs> it did not go well. I did get to keep my job, but uh, but the boat did pay for
0: her dry cleaning. Okay. So. Did she call you names? Uh, I...
2: Mm, you know, I don't recall directly being called names. I do remember being scowled at. And, uh, of course, I was very apologetic. You know, it was uh, it was an accident. It was an right. honest accident. But, uh, you know, I was certainly more careful after that.
0: Yes. Yeah. They never let me wait tables when I worked in restaurants. I no. work in the kitchen.
2: <laughs> no, they they, keep they, 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 in they the saw back. the way you walked around, <laughs> saw the way you carried yourself, and they were like, "All right, keep him in the back room."
0: Yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you what I love doing was uh, I worked in scullery one point in time. I thought that was awesome. I had a I did a great job in that.
2: What's scullery?
0: Uh, dishwashing. Oh, all okay. the dishwashing things. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I'm very fastidious about making sure everything's clean. You okay. Know, that, that's really big with me. So. Yeah. Mm -hmm. it it was a good place for me.
2: Okay, yeah, that is is a good spot for someone who has that particular uh, inclination.
0: Yeah, there's nothing worse for me than uh, drinking from a glass and then you're halfway through the drink and you look in the bottom of the glass and there's breadcrumbs. (laughs) <laughs> Nothing makes me angrier in the kitchen than that. What
2: about lipstick on the glass?
0: Uh, <laughs> I would not be as upset about lipstick because you can see that before. Okay, you go to you go to drink out of it, right? Yeah. Okay. But the, the breadcrumbs you have to get halfway through the drink before it's apparent.
2: Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I, everybody who's ever waited tables has stories. You know. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, my wife used to wait tables. She has stories. Yeah. Yeah, it's amazing we're all still alive. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) All right, once again, uh, we would love to hear from you. Our email address is hackinghumans at n2k.com. We were talking about making users into an asset for security professionals. Simply put, users want to do the right thing – they're often just lacking the knowledge to do so. That's one of the reasons KnowBefore has released Security Coach, a real-time security coaching tool that takes alerts from your existing security stack and sends immediate coaching to users who've taken risky actions. For example, imagine a user has visited a high-risk website or tried to open a document containing malware. Existing security tools will likely block that action, but the user might not understand why. Security Coach analyzes these alerts and provides users with relevant security tips via email or Slack, coaching them on why the action they just took was risky. Help users learn from their mistakes and strengthen your organization's security culture with Security Coach. Learn more about Security Coach at knowbefore.com securitycoach. That's nobeforecom slash securitycoach. Joe, I recently had the pleasure of speaking with Seth Blank. He is the chief technology officer at a company called Valimail, Where they specialize in email security. Mm -hmm. And that is what our conversation centers on. Here's my conversation with Seth Blank.
1: So, to tell this story well, we've got to actually jump back 40 years, right? Email was actually developed in the 70s and codified in the early 80s when it was about a trusted network of individuals, right? Effectively, professors uh, on a trusted network, basically, college campuses before the internet was what we know it as today. And they were communicating with each other and they modeled the system after snail mail and they had no concept of what the internet would become or what email would become, or the fact that businesses would transact on email the way we do uh, and, and have been for the last 20, 25 years. And so ever since then, you know, we call it emails, original sin is there's no concept of trust in email because email was trusted individuals on trusted systems at the beginning. And mm-hmm. so since then, we've had patches on top of patches on top of patches on top of patches. And we've also just had intense amounts of first spam and now phishing and therefore fraud and financial damages to businesses. And since COVID and this move to remote work, and frankly, the dissolving of perimeters right? You're no longer protecting your network. Your employees are global. Threats are global. Email is global. A uh, threat may never touch your network. It doesn't anymore. Modern defenses are, aren't modern enough anymore. And new mm. things are needed. Uh, and we have this host of open standards that make a real impact on this problem, but they aren't well adopted enough. And the fraud has skyrocketed over COVID. And so we're just in a new landscape today.
2: Well, one of these uh, attempts to improve email has certainly been DMARC. Um, can you explain to us what what
1: is what that is and, and what it, it attempts to achieve here? Absolutely. So, so DMARC stands for Domain Based Message Authentication Reporting and Conformance, which is a mouthful. Uh, there will not be a test at the end of this podcast. <laughs> um, but. DMARC overlays uh, SPF, which is Sender Policy Framework, and DKIM, which is Domain Keys Identified Mail, and makes it, it takes them from sort of machine-to-machine anti-spoofing technologies to actual machine-to-human anti-fraud technologies. And the way that works, to give you a really simple um, overview at 50,000 feet, is SPF is effectively a whitelist. Hey, I send mail from these systems that emit from these IPs. And that works great if you run your own network, have your own mail servers, but they're awful in a shared services world. If you're sending through MailChimp or Marketo or Microsoft, everyone and their mom sends through those IPs too. And so SPF isn't as helpful uh, or is not helpful at all. DKIM uses PKI. We sign a message. And so when you receive the message, You can actually use the DNS to figure out, to to find the public key, and you can go, great, this message was actually sent by this domain, and the message has not been tampered with in transit. The problem with both of these is that what they authenticate is not necessarily what is shown to the user. And so DMARC introduces, right, there were those three letters toward the end, right, the concept of alignment. And alignment means, What is authenticated is what is shown to the user. So with SPF or DKIM, I can say, I am Fisher.com. I authenticate as Fisher.com. And then I tell the recipient, I'm Dave Bittner. With DMARC, you cannot do that. That message would fail alignment. It's not authenticating what's shown to the user. uh, And we're explicitly talking about the domain name in use, not the actual text shown to the user. DMARC also gives you a report so you can see what is happening in your name uh, under the name of that domain globally so that you have this unparalleled visibility. Like this has never existed in email before. You can see globally what's happening in your name. And we talk to CISOs all the time and the first DMARC report they they see almost invariably the, the words out of their mouth are, I can't unsee this. Because you just have no idea the amount of just garbage being sent as everyone to everyone. Uh, and then DMARC lets you, the third thing, uh, conformance, lets you set policy. And set, and you get to say, for mail, send as me. If I haven't authenticated, I want you to straight up reject it or send it to spam. And so you finally, with DMARC, get control. And what this has done is DMARC has proven its metal as being the truly powerful anti-fraud tool. And it's become increasingly mandated um, and it's becoming this, you know, it is frankly like having a TLS cert for your website. You just need it. It's sort of that bare minimum bar uh, and it's been a best practice for a decade but it's never been truly required outside of government mandates until now.
2: So what is the, the shift that's happening now? We, we've got some big players here who are uh, taking a, a fresh approach to DMARC?
1: Exactly. So we have Google and then Yahoo and uh, several other people in the industry who will be coming out over the next few weeks and months who will be subscribing to the same set of policies. And effectively what they're saying is the core concepts of DMARC that authentication must be aligned with the from domain. right? What is being displayed to the user um, is paramount. And if you do not have aligned authentication, it doesn't count. And then they're requiring people have a DMARC policy of at least uh, P equals none, which is effectively, you can get reports, but you're not saying yet what to do with unauthenticated mail. And what this does is it means that we can now tell as an email ecosystem who is sending the mail or, or more accurately that when a user is looking at their inbox, the mail is from who it says it's from. Uh, and that's foundationally different. And it's taking again, a decade of best practice and making it requirement that businesses do the hard work to authenticate their mail so that users cannot be deceived. And how effective is this? How, how good is DMARC? So, DMARC is very good. It's the front door. It's This is email. It's all nothing in is ever 100%. It's layered defenses all the way down. And, uh, the analogy I like to use is the TSA in airports, right? When you come in, the first thing you do is you have an ID. And if you do not have ID or your ID does not validate or it's expired or you don't have a boarding pass to match, you don't even get to enter and get scanned. Or walk through all the cameras and agents looking out for behavioral ticks, right? The front door is always check the ID, validate the ID, right? It's zero trust identity for as overused a term as zero trust is. It's first know who's entering because then you can make more sophisticated, effective decisions. And if you don't know who's entering, you don't have to let them enter and you don't have to worry about the rest. And so this is, it's a foundational front door. It's not the window locks. It's not the scanning in the house, but it's email's front door has been wide open. And what we're saying now is you require a front door. There's many other security things you need to do at home, but first have a door and lock the door and manage the security of that key. If I'm a security professional,
2: you're responsible for defending my organization. How is this going to affect me?
1: So I think this is powerfully effective. You know, my, my hope is this is really meaningful to the security professional. Uh, Dmarc has become increasingly a tool that security professionals have tried to implement, but there's been resistance, and the question has been, why now? Why this over other approaches? Right? Uh, security professionals are inundated with the stats, the the FBI damages of Last year, there was $43 billion due to BEC. This year, the FBI reported $50 billion in damages, right? That's $7 billion in damages due to BEC over the last year alone. Uh, DMARC's part of that, not all of it. There has been the Verizon data breach report since 2016 going 91% of all cyber attacks start from email year after year after year, but the problem's getting bigger. And the effectiveness of IT teams to even take on DMARC as a project has been really low. Um, The market stats we look at uh, show only a 13.5% effectiveness of people actually getting protection from DMARC. And so the hope is, this has changed the conversation from a pure project that IT would like to take on, that security would like to take on, to a necessity for the business that creates a significant security win for the business and the process and then opens up other doors especially if you're in a business to consumer and a b2c setting where you can get a lot more ROI from marketing on top of it as well
2: so is the is the notion here that when you have some of the big players the googles and yahoos of the world Making this mandatory instead of optional, like that, really changes the playing field. It does, and
1: and I think to go back to the TSA analogy, right? We we all remember what happened about 20 years ago, right? Mm. Before you could walk to the gate, and now you need to show ID, and it was crunchy, and it was difficult, and there was a lot of friction. I don't have ID. I don't have good access to ID. I don't remember to bring my ID. I like to go to the gate, right? I like to meet my family when they get off the plane. And all of it changes, but it changes so we can enhance security demonstrably for everyone. And for professionals who are invested in security, hopefully it makes it easier for them to talk to their business about the need for these things and the impact of the business that's not about risk reduction, but is actually about the ability to send email and transact as a business at all.
2: So, these changes from Google and Yahoo, in your estimation, are they going far
1: enough? So they're not. I think they're they're meeting the market where it's at. So, top line numbers and take these with a grain of salt. About four hundred million domains send email. About a hundred million of those send legitimate email. And about 25 to 30 million of those send email on a regular basis. Of that, only about five to six million have DMARC today. Only about a million have DMARC in what we call enforcement, which is when they're actually protecting their whole domain and they're truly not spoofable or impersonatable. It's about a 13.5% enforcement rate overall for the ecosystem. That's shockingly low. And That's why Google and Yahoo have come out so forcefully needing this in place, because they know it's the single best tool at the front door to know who the entity sending mail are, so they can assign reputation. And if they see mail from Fisher.com, they can get rid of it. Um, But the requirement is you need to have aligned SPF for DKIM, and you need to have at least monitoring mode for your domain. That's great. It should give visibility to businesses. But the ecosystem's not protected until the majority of domains that send email are at DMARC enforcement and protecting themselves, because that's when they get herd immunity as an ecosystem, where a bad actor spinning up a cousin domain, something random, no longer matters because it doesn't have reputation and it can't abuse the ecosystem. Too many domains don't have the authentication at all. And so the playing field is still rife with abuse. The sooner we can get to enforcement for everyone, to true no off, no entry, right, no authentication, you can't send mail. The better off we're going to be as an ecosystem, and the better we'll be at taking a significant bite out of all the fraud uh, that happens through email.
2: Suppose I'm I'm your typical user in an organization. You know, perhaps I'm in a position of some influence. Should I be, uh, you know, visiting my security professional's office and saying, Hey, where do we stand when it comes to DMARC?
1: Yes, you absolutely should, especially if you're in marketing and send mail or in risk uh, compliance, right? This is becoming an essential part of cybersecurity programs. Uh, To give you a couple of examples, uh, the the U.S. federal government, the U.K. federal government, the Netherlands federal government, the German federal government all have mandates requiring federal agencies to DMARC. The Center for Internet Security, which runs all the ISACs, right? FSISAC, HISAC, uh, MSISAC, et cetera, now has a DMARC requirement in their guidelines. The next version, I believe it's PCI DSS 4.0, which is the rules uh, that govern people who uh, process credit cards, uh, is publishing in March a DMARC requirement that will be enforced in March of 2025 right? DMARC's becoming a mandate. It's becoming required by the major senders and receivers of email. The, the fact of the matter is, if you're not taking it seriously and getting started early, you're going to be in a bit of a deficit. And it's just an essential security tool. And for some organizations, it's really hard to implement. And you don't want to start when your back's against the wall.
0: Joe, what do you think? Dave, I think I've talked about this before, but I have a friend who says that if you want to learn Unix, you have to learn the history of Unix, mm. right? And his, I bet
2: he's popular at cocktail parties. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> he actually is. He doesn't talk about computer science. And stuff. Okay. <laughs>
0: um, he's actually uh, pretty personable. Okay. Uh, but anyway, the case in point that he, he points out is that uh, the, the command in Unix and Linux and all these different things, to change your password is P-A-S-S-W-D. Right, right. Six characters. It is not password p a s s w o r d or change password. It's p a s s w d. And the reason it's only six characters harkens all the way back to the beginning of Unix, where six characters was the most you could use as a command name. I was going to guess that. Yep. Yeah, back- you couldn't ago. have more than six unit six characters in a command. Right. Um, so it's the same thing with the internet. Uh huh. And particularly with email, and Seth starts off talking here about why email is terrible now, <laughs> right? Because when the people who built email started email, it was they knew everybody on the on the on the on what would become the internet, mm-hmm. right? All of the machines on what would become the internet were trusted, right? Right. So there's no reason to build security into it.
2: And there were probably a lot of social pressure to to adhere to norms. Yes, because if you didn't, somebody would pick up the phone and, <laughs> and tell. What do you think you're doing, Bob? Knock it off! Right. Yeah, right. Exactly.
0: So that has now evolved to the same kind of level of of well, not to the same kind of level, but as as the internet ha- as what was then DARPAnet then became the internet became publicly accessible. And by the time I was on the internet, spam was already a thing. Mm. Um, and, uh, you know, I was one of the first one million people on the internet, Dave. Really? Yeah. I was on very early in the 1990s. Huh. Or very, I, wonder in 1990. If, I wonder if I was. Probably. Probably was. Yeah. Huh. Um, so, you know, I would get, if I put my email anywhere, I would just get spam email from it. And still that can happen today because of the nature of email that anybody, anywhere can put something in your inbox. Right. So we have these standards, as Seth is talking about, the SPF, the DKIM, and the DMARC. Right. Um, and uh, standards. And they really help out getting fraudulent emails, fraudulently sourced emails out of your inbox. Yeah. Um Now, that doesn't necessarily mean they're going to stop spam emails because if somebody's business is spamming you, and they have uh, they have DMARC records in the DNS system, mm-hmm. which is how this works, uh, and they're compliant with these other two standards, the uh, the uh, SPF and the uh, the DKIM standards, um, then their emails are still going to get through. But what what is happening now? is this big change with Google and Yahoo, who, I mean, do you have a Google account and a Yahoo account? Uh, I certainly have a Google account. Yeah. yeah, I have one of each. Okay. And um, I use them both frequently. Huh. Or Actually, I, I think I have multiple of each. In fact, I do have multiple Gmail accounts. And, and Yeah, I have two, uh, two Yahoo emails, but they both go to the same address. Okay. Uh, the same inbox. Um, but they're saying, yeah, we're not doing this anymore. We're not we're not just going to receive your messages anymore. If you send less than 5000 emails to us uh, in a day as a as an email server, whatever your business model is, if you send less than 5000 and you're not comp- compatible or compliant with SPF and DKIM, we're just going to put your email in junk. Less than or more than? Less than 5000. Okay. More than 5,000, you don't have to have just SPF and DKIM, but you also have to have DMARC installed.
2: Oh. And you have
0: to have policy on it. I see. Well, I mean, I think Seth talked about this a lot. Yeah. Um, there's more to this restriction, though. Uh, if you send more than 5,000 emails a day to Yahoo and Google, you also have to have a one-click unsubscribe. <laughs> right? <laughs> right. Which is great. Yeah. So I think Yahoo and... and. uh and and Google are doing a good thing here. Yeah. Um, my question about all of this is why has it taken us so long to to get to this point where two of the biggest providers of emails, free email services out there, are now insisting on it? Yeah. I mean, these things have been out there for ten years or more. Why did Why did it take this long to to get to this point? Um, there's been a lot of of uh, email spoofing, which has led to all kinds of scams. Yeah. Um, now, this is not going to stop uh, some of these impersonation attacks. Um, my daughter, again today, she sent me a, 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 an image on Facebook Messenger about another person trying to Im- impersonate uh Somebody at the church she goes to, okay, right? And they're saying, uh, they're saying, hey, it's just another one. Hey, I need your help with something. It's another gift card scam, okay? Opening, and it's coming from some Gmail that somebody set up, and and is impersonating somebody. So, right. this is not a panacea. The, these different standards are not a panacea, but they do stop somebody from sending uh, an email that looks like it's coming from Peacock and pretending to come from Peacock.com or NBC or Universal, whatever. Any of those valid things. Yeah. Not only that, but you can get a report if you are the uh, the owner of the domain and see how many times somebody attempted to spoof your domain in an email. Yeah. I I really like what Seth says here. He said that the 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 CISOs go, oh, I can't unsee this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now you kind of have a glimpse into how bad the problem is, right? right, right. How much you're being impersonated. Right. Terrifying.
2: Yeah. Um I mean it's the lowest common denominator, right? I mean that that's the reason why we haven't had movement in this is that nobody wants to no nobody had either the bravery or the market share to be the mover who 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 had the guts to break things.
0: Yeah, that, that's true, but I think that if you were Yahoo or Google or Microsoft 5 years ago cuz Microsoft has all kinds of email services. They have Hotmail and outlook.com. Right. Uh, live Uh, all these different email address combinations you can make, somebody could have done this and said, now we're going to lead the market on this. Mm. Uh, We're going to make sure that the people who use our email get validated emails. Uh, The problem is that what if your mom is on some rinky-dink little uh, ISP out of Montana and they don't have the infrastructure to implement uh, SSPF or DKIM, Right. So now you don't get your all your mom's emails go directly to your junk folder because they don't meet the standards. Yeah, or get rejected.
2: Right. Um. And then you leave that provide you leave that provider. Yeah.
0: You leave you stop stop using that provider. Yeah. Um. How much email do you use to communicate with family members anymore?
2: Oh, hmm. Very little. Yeah. I mean, most of it is text messaging. Right.
0: We use I we use um, uh, mostly Facebook Messenger for our. Our family communications, mm-hmm. uh, which is the only reason I'm still on Facebook, by the way. <laughs> if it weren't for that, I would be off of Facebook so fast. <laughs> right. If I could convince them to go to Signal or Telegram. <sighs> <sighs> yeah. How great that would be. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not getting my aunt to go on to Telegram. Yeah, or yeah.
2: See, there you go. Again, no, lowest common denominator. Not going to happen. Yep.
0: Um, I think it's interesting that, that, what did Seth say, like 13% of uh, email providers are using these, uh, these are using DMARC. Yeah, uh, very small percentage of of people that actually of of domains that send out email are using them. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's going to have to change with these uh, these incoming things. Good, uh, you know, these incoming standards from from Yahoo and Google. And there's a pretty short time horizon on this. And it's not it's not hard to do. I mean, it's it might take a little bit of learning and, and expertise, you know, but it's not something that's impossible. It's, yeah, it's pretty easy to set up. Um. I like what Seth says about calling DMARC the front door of email, right? Mm. Which is a great analogy because if you're not if you're not using DMARC um, on on the emails you receive, then anybody can put anything into your into your users' inboxes. Yeah, and you haven't done anything to validate them. Right. So yeah. Put a front door in your house and lock it. (laughs) I like like that analogy, Seth. That's really
2: good. A barking Rottweiler. Right, yeah. (laughs) All right. Well, again, our thanks to Seth Blank for joining us. He is the Chief Technology Officer at Valamail. We do appreciate him taking the time. We want to thank all of you for listening. And of course, we want to thank our sponsors at know Before. They are experts in helping users do the right thing through new school security awareness training. That is our show. We want to thank all of you for listening. A quick reminder that N2K Strategic Workforce Intelligence optimizes the value of your biggest investment, your people make you smarter about your team while making your team smarter. Learn more at n2k.com. This episode was produced by Liz Irvin and mixed by Elliot Peltzman. Our executive producers are Jennifer Ivan and Brandon Karp. Our executive editor is Peter Kilpie. I'm Dave Bittner. And I'm Joe Kerrigan. Thanks for listening.